The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Good morning to you. I trust that you are well. So we're carrying on with our series, Being BTC. And of course, this is looking at the subject of the church. And the church isn't the building. We gather in buildings. People have a place to gather to that we come to and that we know that that is a church building. But we, the people of God, are the church. We are the ones who make up his church. And so therefore, when we're talking about being BTC, we're talking about who we are and what we are doing. And we're quite used to coming here on a Sunday. Sunday is the day that we gather as church. That's the day that's associated for us to be gathering together. But we're going to look at two questions this morning. And the questions we're going to look at is, why Sunday? And we're going to try to understand what Sunday is designed to achieve. So Sunday, why and what for is what we're looking at this morning. Let's start off with the why. And uh, here we are gathering here on a Sunday. But I want to take us way, way back, way back in uh, Genesis. And we want to go back to the story of Joseph going into Egypt and all of those things. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then I'm going to encourage you to go back and to read the story, read the book of Genesis, because it's the book of beginnings and it gives us a great insight into the beginning of the Bible. But here we are, Joseph, and he has now become second in command of Egypt, and there's famine in the land of Judah, there's famine in the land of Egypt, but because of what Joseph has done, they stored up lots of food in Egypt. And Joseph and his brothers come back together. That's another whole story which you can read about. But anyway, Joseph says, go and get my father and come with all of your families. Come and live in Egypt. So they come out of Israel and they come to live in Egypt. Uh, So they go to live in Egypt and Joseph says, I'm going to look after you. So here we have this small family. Well, I say small family, relatively large family who come and actually live in Egypt. And of course, as time goes on and time does go on, in fact, the Israelites remain in Egypt for years and years, and then as Joseph moves on or passes away, and as Pharaoh's chop and change, then actually the Israelites become enslaved in Egypt. And so this family, which keep on growing and growing, because actually one of the purposes of them being in Egypt is that they become a nation, this nation is now kept in captivity and slavery, and they have to do all sorts of building work for the Pharaohs, and all sorts of menial tasks. They are in slavery and actually in slavery for 430 years. But then Moses comes and he is going to lead the people out of Egypt. And that's really what we're going to look at today. Israel now comes out of Egypt. And at this point, as they're coming out of Egypt, so they're leaving their slavery behind, they're coming into a whole new world. And I want to look at three things that God did as they came out of Egypt, which are very important for us to understand about Sunday. And this I'm going to look at under three headings. Firstly, God provides. So as we've come out of Egypt, and we're coming out as a people who are used to slavery, we're coming out with a mindset, we're coming out with a bit of an impoverished situation. That's what we're coming out with. But we're coming out under the leadership of Moses, and our God has, through many plagues, destroyed, in effect, the nation of Egypt to release his people and to show that God is in control and is leading his people. 
Now God has to provide because now they've come out of Egypt, but they've actually gone into a desert. And actually, two weeks down the road from having gone out, and you know like when you're at the end of a holiday, sometimes you think, oh, actually, I don't mind to get back home. Or when you run out of provisions, you're thinking like, what comes next? Well, that's exactly what was happening to the Israelites. They actually would run out of water, and they came to this place called Marah, and they couldn't drink the water because it was undrinkable. But Moses, through God's direction, was able to bring that water to be drinking water. Wow, okay, God's provided water, but actually, we've run out of food. And where are we? We're not in Bromley High Street, where you can go to Nero's or Pretz or pop down to Sainsbury's or Tesco's to get a sandwich. You're in the desert. And you have to understand that you're in the desert And it's not just you, so maybe you could scratch your living for yourself. It says that 600,000 men came out, plus women and children. So we've got over a million people in a desert with no food. That's a problem. I mean, now I can understand when you think of it like that, why the Israelites said, hey, we were better off in Egypt. Because at least there we had some food to eat. Because now we're in this place, and you're looking around, and all you see is rock and sands, and the sun is burning down on you, and you think, how are we going to provide? And it's not just you're worrying about the others, you're thinking about yourself and your family. How am I going to provide for my little ones? How am I going to provide for my wife? But God moves in, and through Moses, God says, I am going to feed the nation. Not just for today, I'm going to feed the nation for every day. And so manna comes. And if you remember, a few weeks back, William spoke about manna. So if you remember that sermon, that's good. If you don't remember that sermon, don't worry, William, because they never remember mine either. So don't worry about that. (laughs) Or only parts of the things. God brings provision of manna to the people. Let's read in Exodus 16, 21 to 23. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed... And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake whatever you want to bake and boil whatever you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till the morning. God said, I'm going to feed the nation. And he said, you can go out every day, every day there's going to be manna afresh, except, except for this day which we're going to call the Sabbath. Now, you've got to, this is new to them. They've been used to living a life of slavery. They've been living a life where they've been told what to do day after day after day by their taskmasters. Now they've come in and God is saying, I'm providing food for you. I'm going to provide it every day except the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day... That was a Saturday for them. So on Fridays, when you go out to collect the manna, you can collect twice as much. And as we know, if anybody thought like, well, I don't really like going out, I'll collect enough for the week on, one, on Monday, or I'll collect enough for Tuesday on Monday. Whenever they did that, they found that the next morning the food was rotten, it had maggots, and it was moldy. But when they actually collected twice the amount on a Friday, whoa, it lasted fine for the whole of the Saturday. The Sabbath day. Because God has said, I want you to do something different. Six days. Six days you're going to work. And on the Sabbath day, that is going to be a day of rest. So that was what God had provided. Provided food for them 
And this was on a permanent basis whilst the Israelites were in the desert. So God provided for them. God also gives them rules and regulations for living. So God provides for them in terms of food, water, and of their basic needs. But God gives them direction for living. Because we know that the Israelites went to Mount Sinai. And there, as a nation, they received the instructions on this is how you are to live. God was teaching his nation, this is how you are to live. We have the same. It's not that we climb a mountain, we just need to read a book. This is the instruction that God has given for life. He wants us to have it so that we can know how to live. Because God wants to identify Israel as a nation that is different. Why? They are a nation who are living out God's purposes so that God himself can be revealed to other people. God through the people. They are living his life, his way. That's the idea of them receiving the laws and the instructions at Mount Sinai. So God gives the Ten Commandments, or what are known as the Ten Commandments, and we can look at those. But commandment number four was particularly about the Sabbath day. Because God wanted to institute this as part of the life of the nation of Israel. Exodus 20 verses 8 to 10 read like this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day no one in your household may do any work. Now, we have this concept of having a Saturday and a Sunday off. That's part of our society. Or not for everybody, I understand that. But generally, that's a structure of our society. But you've got to understand, the, the, if you like, the normal for them was in Egypt, every day was a working day. And you know what's good about every day being a working day? You can earn more money. You see, it's not salaried. You do a day's work, you get a day's pay. So let's work it out. Do six days work, you get six days pay. But if I did seven days work, then I get seven days pay. So it's not a salaried situation, which many people have. So therefore, they don't even think about this. This is, I work for a day, I get money. So if I don't work, what does that mean? No income. This is why many uh, of the nations of Africa were really struggling when COVID came, because that's still how they operate. I go out to work, and I earn my money. COVID comes and says there is no work. That's it. So there's a complete dry up of all finances. We have to understand how blessed we are in these situations. But God comes and gives rules for living. And one of God's rules for living is this, is that he wants to say you're going to work for six days and then you are going to have a Sabbath day, a holy day that you are going to keep aside. I've already sorted out the food for you on that day. You're not going to worry about food. You've got your provision. You've got that organized. You come and now you have a day of rest. It's obviously the same thing that God had instituted for himself. You remember when God created the world. If you don't, you would have read it if you're reading through Genesis. You will read there that in six days God created the world, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. So you see, there's something in the heart of God that says, this is the rhythm that I want you to keep to, because this will do you good. So God provides for them. God gives them rules and instructions for living. And thirdly, God comes and lives among them. So God comes down to them. Not as only God saying, hey, this is what you need to do. God is saying, build me a tabernacle. Build me a tent. Build me a place where there's going to be special furniture, special things in there. But that place is where I, God, am going to come down and be among my people. This is what separates us out 
as a people is that God has come to us through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Not, we're not going to a monument. We're not making sacrifices and burning joysticks and all that sort of stuff. Saying like, you know, I, God has come among his people. Where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. And here we're seeing amongst Israel, God had said to them, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you and I'm going to dwell among you. And so Moses was told to build this tabernacle, this a covering, a tent covering, uh, where God would come and live in the Ark of the Covenant and here he would speak to Moses. The priests were told to come and bring offerings and sacrifices at this tabernacle. And they were told that on the Sabbath day, this special day, that they were to have a holy assembly. Leviticus 23, first three verses. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. So wherever you go around the world, should you move around from that place in the desert where they were then, this is to be the institution for you. You're going to have six days of ordinary work. There's going to be a seventh day. And on that day, you are to have a holy assembly. Do you remember that ecclesia, the Greek word that is used for church, means those who are called out, the gathering, it says, of the called out ones. This nation had been called out of Egypt, and they were told to gather together on the Sabbath day to make it a holy day to worship God. And there is a sense in which we, the church, come to gather together on the Sabbath day so that we can worship the Lord. So we, like the nation of Israel, have established uh, this day, this seventh day. Now the Jews, of course, have their day Shabbat, which is held weekly for obvious reasons. It starts on sunset on Friday. And goes through till sunset on Saturday. And it's a day of rest. It's a day when they're not doing work. But it's a day also when they gather for a holy assembly. So that's the principle that God has set for us. The Sabbath is meant to be in our lives. It's meant to be a day of rest. It's meant to be a day when we gather together. Where we worship God. Where we acknowledge God. Where we serve God. And where we enjoy God. So Israel kept to this. And over the time, and again, you read the history of this in the Bible, you can see that this tradition was kept. But however, when things become traditional, they can often lose their original focus. And that, of course, is what happened amongst the Israelites. They maintained the day, but they began to lose the connection with God that that day was supposed to bring. So they're just going, oh, we need to do this. You're not allowed to do any work. And this was particularly exemplified when Jesus came. So Jesus came, and Jesus kept the Sabbath, as was expected. That was what he did. But he got into a lot of problems on the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. There was a day when he was walking with his disciples, and they picked a few ears of corn as they were walking. And the Pharisees who saw it said, Hey, you, your disciples are working. They're doing some work. And that's not allowed on the Sabbath day. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, You should know. What these words mean, Matthew 12, verse 7, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, he said. And that's in referring to his disciples being told off. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. But of course, when Jesus went on to heal on the Sabbath, this whole issue of, is he working? You're not allowed to work. The idea of, this is the mindset the Israelites had got themselves into. You should do no work. That's what this is. You should do no work. But they've forgotten also the other things to show justice and mercy. So Matthew 12, verses 9 to 14, Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes, so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Because in effect what it's saying is they can't comprehend this idea of doing good. All they can comprehend is the idea of you should not work. So the Sabbath is not about rules, but it's about relationship. That's what Jesus came to say. You got caught in your rules when you need to understand this day is about relationship with God. And sometimes we can get more fixated on the rules, have I done the right thing, than we have about the relationship that we're supposed to be establishing with God. And we don't want to let the Sabbath become, let the, the regular the fact that it's every week, the fact that it's this continual cycle, we don't want to let the regular become religious. Because again, that's so easy for us. Oh, well, this is what I always do. You think of Christmas. What is it about Christmas? Traditions. And if you don't uphold one of those traditions, I mean, you know, there's the nervousness about whether there's going to be turkeys available this Christmas. That's already been muted across the press. Well, if I can't have a turkey, it's not Christmas. It's rubbish, really. It's rubbish. Christmas is about celebrating the fact that Jesus came. But you see, our traditions get so embedded in us. This is important to me. And I, it's just my, my Christmas was ruined because I couldn't have turkey. We have to get a perspective of things. Jesus wants us to get a perspective of the Sabbath day. It's not about, oh, have I kept this? Have I done that? It's, about, uh, it's not about uh, religion. It's about the regular meeting of God's people. And also the Sabbath, it needs to be real, or rather we need to let the real become relevant. When I say the real, God is real. You can't see him, but he's real. He's created the heavens and the earth. He is alive in so many ways and reveals himself in so many ways. But sometimes we think, well, we can't see him, so therefore he doesn't exist. Look, we want the real to become very relevant to us. And that's why we gather. Because we're looking to have connection and relationship with this God who has hidden himself. But why Sunday? That's the question we're trying to Why Sunday? I've given you a history of how this Sabbath was actually come about. But hang on, that's the Sabbath. That was from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. So how did we get to Sunday? Well, we know that Jesus rose again from the first, on the first day of the week. And that's something that very much stuck in the minds of the early disciples. But it wasn't particularly that that actually caused the change from Saturday to Sunday. Following the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're seeing Jews coming to realize that the Messiah has come. Coming to become Christians. 
coming to worship Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. And having started in that form and learning that, we know that when persecution came, particularly to Jerusalem, but then caused people to be spread out, that news of Christianity started to spread right over the Roman Empire around the world. As people were actually fleeing from Jerusalem, they were taking the good news of what the Messiah had done, and they were sharing it as they went. Now, what starts to happen is controversy, because this came out of a Jewish root. We know that it's out of Israel, Jesus comes out of Israel. So there's out of Jewish root that it's come. But as time goes on, and as Jesus the Messiah has come, and as now he's saying a, a way for people to live, some of the things, the traditions of the Jews are no longer relevant. For instance, circumcision. And in the early Christian days, there was this big argument that you cannot be a Christian, a true Christian. You cannot be a true believer unless you are circumcised. And there's this controversy. We know, for instance, that Paul was very strong in preaching about this and saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. That has now been done away with. You don't have to be. In fact, circumcision, if there's going to be any circumcision, it's of your heart. Not necessarily the flesh, it's of your heart. That's what, there's a circumcision that needs to take place inside of us, not physical with a knife. So there's this controversy. And therefore, there's a tension that's growing between those who are Jews who are saying the Messiah has not come they're still waiting. And the Christians who are saying he has come and we don't necessarily need to abide with all of the rules that the Jews are putting upon us. And to try to sort out that tension that arose or to try to distance themselves from Judaism but into Christianity, then over a period of time, Christians began to meet on the first day of the week on Sundays rather than uh, holding the same as the Jews did on the, on the Sabbath. So they kept the Sabbath. The principle was kept, but the day was moved. And so that is how we come to the fact that Christians celebrate on a Sunday. Not every Christian does that. You have Seventh-day Adventists, for instance, who meet on, a, on the Sabbath because they're wanting to identify absolutely with this. But there's a principle that's being laid down that is more important than anything else. Here's a question for you. Is this day special for you? How is it special? Well, I don't get a line. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm asking the question, is this day special? Because as we go through history, we see that it was created to be a special day. Do we treat it as special? Or is it just, oh, well, it's another day of the week, or that's the day I go to church? What's our attitude? I want to encourage you. Think this through. Are you following God's pattern? His pattern is six days you should do your normal work, and you will have a day of rest. Okay, why Sunday? Well, we've looked at why Sunday. Let's just briefly look at what Sunday is for. We gather on a Sunday, but what is Sunday for? And I want to read through Hebrews 10, just a few verses, starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I know that we don't necessarily know who the writer to the letter of the Hebrews is, but we know that he wrote this letter and it's been written to Jews who have accepted that Jesus is the Messiah and that salvation is only found in him. So as we look at this, we can gain an understanding of what the early church gathered for. And the passage just gives us four things that I'm going to quickly look at. It encourages us in verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God. So we've got six days that we're working. We've set this day aside. What is the purpose of this day? That we draw near to God. We draw near to God. We acknowledge who he is. We affirm what we're believing in. Now I say it like that, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see, quite often we don't do that. We don't stop and think, what is God like? Who is it I'm believing in? I know sometimes in our minds we get all sorts of confusion about that, but that's why we need to stop. We need to stop and say like, whoa, hang on a second. What have I come here for? I've come here to worship God. Am I worshiping? Am I just going through a road? Am I connecting with God? I've come here to draw near to him. James says if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So as we approach God and as we're coming close to him, there's the confidence that we have that as we approach him, he wants to come towards us. He is our loving father and he wants to meet with his children. We've come here to draw near to him. We've come here to develop our relationship with him. Oh, I just came to church. Yeah, but have a mindset that says, I've come here to think about God. I've come here to draw near to God. I've come here to just assess what it is I'm believing in, to think it through, to consider the things about God. I want to come with the full assurance that faith brings, that confidence that we can have from faith, not just knowing him, not just knowing about him rather, but knowing him. We can learn a lot about somebody, but not know them. We know lots of facts about the queen, how old she is, how many birthdays, the longest reigning monarch, who her sons and daughters are, we, and look, what she does. We don't necessarily know what TV program she watches. So sometimes you get a glimpse into that. We know about the queen. I don't know her, though. In fact, for most of us, we've never even met her. We've only seen pictures of her. We don't want our relationship with God to be like that. We want our relationship to be real. We want to meet with him, to have a real relationship with him. The more real your relationship, the more authority you speak with about how you know him. Because you've met with him, because you know him, not just about him. And church isn't coming just to find out things about him. In sermons, we can hear things about him, but that's not enough. We need to know him because then we say, he, how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. We want to draw near to God. That's why the first point. Second point, we come here to hold on to the hope we profess. There is a hope. There's a purpose. We're coming here. We've come together in church because we recognize that he has saved us from our sins. Without salvation, there is punishment for sin. We must remember this. Where we have come from. What God has done for us by sending his son Jesus. We've come here to strengthen our understanding of what life is all about. The issue of sin has to be understood. The hope of heaven has to be understood too. 
It's not just that we're here and woe is me. No, I am going to a better place than this. There is a great future for me that has been assigned. And Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me and for every believer so that when we pass away, we go to be with him forever. There is hope here. Working through the hellishness of this earth at times, the glory is for Christians that there is a greater hope. There is a heaven which is still awaiting for us. And when things get dark and the darkness seems to increase here, the knowledge for Christians is we have a hope that Jesus is coming again to take us to be with himself. But you know what? Just We go well, one day to the next day. We come to church to renew our hope, to remember what this is about. Because otherwise life can grip us and we don't always realize that its tentacles are holding on to us more and more firmly and dragging us down. We come here to renew our hope in him that there is a great purpose that we're about and God has done a great thing for us and will take us to be with Jesus in heaven. Thirdly, we come to encourage ourselves. It says that in verse 24. We come to encourage one another rather. Come to encourage one another. Each of us is a unique individual. Each of us is a unique individual. God created you the way you are because he loves that. He loves that. Everybody is unique. And the problem with our uniqueness is we tend to compare ourselves to others. Because we look at ourselves and we think like, wow. Then we look at others and we think like, hey, hang on. Why have they got better this, better that, thinner, fatter, smaller, taller, more beautiful, less beautiful, richer, poorer, whatever it might be. We're looking at others and we start to compare ourselves to others. And when we can't comparing ourselves to others, well, I don't, I don't know whether I am. This is not fair. We don't come to church to compare ourselves to, to one another. We come to church to encourage each other that we have been created for who we are because each of us has a destiny that God has actually established. And that he wants to work out his purposes through your life and through my life. And you are an absolutely unique individual. And you can only accomplish the things that God has set before your life to accomplish. And we have come together not to pick holes in one another, but to say, hey, come on. Be strong in your faith. Let me encourage you to go further. Let me encourage you to go stronger. Let me stand with you. Let me pray with you. Let me be with you and strengthen you. Because each of us goes through ups and downs. And sometimes somebody else is going through an up and somebody else is going through a down. So the person who's going through an up can come and give more support to the person who's going through a down time in their life. We're here to encourage each other. And we want to do that. And finally it says in verse 25, don't give up meeting together. Now, why would they say that? What had happened to the church that they was being written to? What was their situation? I don't know. But you don't tend to write, don't give up meeting together, if it hasn't already started to happen. And you see, when we start to give up meeting together, we've lost the principle that God has called his people to. He has called his people to a Sabbath. He has called his people to say, look, there's six days you can work. But on this Sabbath day, this is about relationship with me. And therefore, he's saying, like, well, what do we do? Do we just do that? Well, I'll do it every now and again. Hmm. Wasn't it established at six days and then there is a Sabbath? Isn't that the rule that God has established for his people? And I know, because I can look at my own life, there's a tendency to say, like, whoa, I've got a day off. 
How can I please myself? I would rather do this. And I'm not going to knock that, but I'm going to say when we get to that mindset, we've lost sight of who he is. We've lost sight of his wonder. We've lost sight of his greatness. We've lost sight of things, which of course is why we're going in that direction, because it's no longer so important for me to meet with him. I'd rather be doing what I want to do. When God has said, six days, and on the seventh day, there's going to be a day of holy assembly, when you're going to come to my presence, where you're going to start to remember again what I am like, how I provide, how I oversee a way for you to live, and how I come to live among my people. You're going to remind yourself of those things. So we don't want to give up meeting together. I know there's the sense of being online and how we've been through that with COVID, but it's so important that we come together to actually encourage one another and to stand alongside one another because we all need the sense of support and encouragement. None of us is an island. We all go through, as I've said, our ups and downs, and we need, therefore, the support that one another can give. Let's not fall into the trap of selfishness where we become more interested in me than we do with one another. That's not where we're meant to be. So as I come to a close of this, I I just want to ask these questions, if you like, that we may think about. Questions like, am I seeking to draw nearer to God? Is that something that is on my agenda? Is that something that I'm seeking to work through in my life? Or is it like, oh, Monday, tomorrow, right? What have I got to do? I think about work and I'm thinking about all of those things and getting prepared for Monday... Stop just a second. As it is the Sabbath day for us, are you seeking to draw near to God? Folks, you may have many questions about whether you see Him, whether He seems real to you. The work of the enemy is to separate you and divide you and to take you away from the knowledge and the understanding of God. But He created all things. He is the uncreated one. We are created. Our minds are desperate for control so that we understand, which will put us above him. But we need to come to a place where we simply say, Lord, I don't understand. I am confused, but I'm choosing to believe in you. Come and make yourself known to me. Am I seeking to draw near him? Do I have hope or do I feel hopeless? As Christians, we have a hope. I may be going through hardship. I may be going through turmoil. But God is good and he cares for us. And yes, we don't understand why this has happened. And many of us could come up and say like, why God, why? But you see, he knows the end from the beginning. We only know where we are right now and what we've experienced already. And he knows how to take us all the way to the end so that we can accomplish fully his purposes. So that's why we're looking to put our hope in him. To get away from our own minds that that deceive us. Because we deceive ourselves on many times. But God wants to take us all the way through. Do you have hope? Because God wants to give you hope. Are you seeking to encourage others? Now that you're here, are you seeking to encourage others? So that they can stand firm. Yeah, hi, we can have a cup of coffee, we can stay. And sometimes we're just saying, like, how was your week? Or, you know, what's this? Let's just say, look, are you all right? How can I encourage you? How can I stand with you? How can I pray for you? 
praying for each other even after the service because we want to say, look, you need this encouragement and I want to see you get strong. And final question I want to ask is this. Have we given up the practice of this regular meeting together? Are there other things which really are not the things of God? And I know every one of us has important issues that come in, so I'm not saying that. I'm not pointing the finger, I'm asking the questions. What is our purpose of coming together that we might know him and the power of his resurrection and that the light that comes from him may fill our hearts that when we leave this place, others who are lost and broken find the transforming power of Jesus Christ which has touched us. And sometimes that touch seems to be a bit of a distant memory. But God wants to renew all things and to bring us back into the center of his purposes. That as a people, as his church, we once again may declare there is a savior and he has come to rescue you. Why Sunday? And what Sunday's for? This is what we've been talking about today. So let's hold ourselves accountable. Accountability is a word that we don't like. I don't want to be held accountable. I don't like that. I don't want people checking up on me. You see, the reason that God didn't make us just individuals but brought us into communities is that there is accountability. There's accountability in your family as mum and dad, as husband and wife. There's accountability in your workplace over the work that you do. There should be accountability in the house of God. And I don't mean in a heavy-handed way, but accountability that says, come on, folks. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So therefore, for each of us, we're looking about taking us from where we are to the place where he wants us to be so that we might shine for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.